Chapter Fourteen of Grace Harlowe's Second Year at Overton College by Jessie Graham Flower. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fourteen. Grace makes a resolution. What do you think has happened? Demanded J. Elfreda Briggs, bursting into the room where Anne and Grace were busily making up for lost time. They had lingered at Vinton's until after eight o'clock. Then the thought of tomorrow, with its eternal round of classes, had driven them home, reluctantly enough, to where their books awaited them. It was almost nine o'clock before they had actually settled themselves, and Elfreda's sudden, tempestuous entrance caused Anne to lay down her Horace with an air of patient resignation. "'We might as well begin saying unprepared now, and grow accustomed to the sound of our own voices,' she announced. "'I think so, too,' agreed Grace. "'Well, Elfreda, why this thusness? What has happened? Have you been elected to the Pi Beta Gamma, or did you get an unusually large check from home?' "'Catch the P.B. Gammas troubling themselves about me,' scoffled Elfreda. "'As for a check, I've written for it, but so far I've seen no signs of it. When I do lay hands on it, we'll celebrate the event with feasting and merrymaking.' "'Then I can't guess,' sighed Grace. "'You'd better tell us.' "'Well,' began Elfreda, her eyes twinkling, I have a dinner invitation for tomorrow night at Martell's. That is nothing startling, scoffed Anne. We have just come from Vinton's. But the rest of my news is remarkable, persisted the stout girl. I am invited to dine. Elfreda paused, then finished impressively. With the anarchist. You don't mean it. Grace looked at her in surprise. Of course I mean it, retorted Elfreda. I wouldn't say so if I didn't. She delivered her invitation on the way over to chapel this morning. I'd give you an imitation of the way she did it if I hadn't accepted. Grace shot a quick, approving glance toward Elfreda, which the latter saw and interpreted correctly. I wouldn't have thought about that last year, would I, Grace? She asked shyly. Grace laughed rather confusedly. How did you guess so much? The way you stumble upon things is positively uncanny. Observation, my dear, observation, returned Elfreda patronizingly. One can learn almost everything about everybody if one keeps one's eyes open. You seem to carry out your own theory, admitted Grace smilingly. Have you finished your work for tonight? Years ago, declared Elfreda extravagantly. Miriam hasn't. At least she was still studying when I left the room. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll make some fudge. Mrs. Elwood will let me have some milk, and we have the rest of the stuff in our room. I'll send Miriam in here. Then I can have the whole room to myself. When it's done, I'll call you. With a joyful skip that fairly jarred the furniture in the room, Elfreda bounded through the doorway and vanished. Two minutes later, Miriam appeared, an amused look on her dark face, several books tucked under one arm. Driven from home, she declared, posing on the threshold, her free hand appealingly extended. Will no one help me? I will. Grace reached forth her hand, dragging Miriam into the room. Hurry through your lessons and we'll have a spread. I'm sorry you weren't with us tonight, but Anne and I weren't sure as to just how successfully our plan would work. Everything went smoothly, though. Grace related briefly what had taken place at the dinner. I'm glad Ruth and Arlene settled their differences, commented Miriam. We all knew that Arlene was at fault. She is such a dear little thing, one hesitates to say so. She was very sweet tonight, interposed Anne. She asked Ruth's forgiveness and took the blame for their little coolness on her own shoulders. I don't wish to cause dissension in this happy band, but we really must stop talking and study, warned Grace. I haven't made a satisfactory recitation this week, and I vote for reform. All right, my dear Miss Harlowe, flung back Miriam. 
Work for the night is coming. You mean going, giggled Anne. After this interchange of flippant remarks, silence reigned, broken only by the sound of turning leaves or an occasional sigh over the appalling length of a lesson. The three girls were fully absorbed in their work when Elfreda poked her head into the room to announce that the fudge was made. I have a bottle of cunning little pickles and a box of cheese wafers. I made some tea, too. Hurry, or it will be half-past ten before we have time to eat a single thing. I can't possibly finish studying my Latin tonight, sighed Miriam. Every day the lessons seem to get longer. Miss Arthur hasn't a spark of compassion. Don't stop to grumble, commanded Elfreda. Come along. The half-past ten o'clock bell rang before the fudge was half gone. In fact, it was after eleven before the quartet prepared for sleep. During the evening all thought of the troublesome theme had left Grace's mind. It was not until after she had turned out the light and gone to bed that it came back to her with such disagreeable force that for the time being all idea of sleep fled. For the first time since her entrance in Overton College she had incurred the displeasure of one in authority over her and through no fault of her own. As Grace lay staring into the darkness, the recollection of that bitter time during her junior year at high school, when Miss Thompson had accused her of shielding the girl who had destroyed the principal's personal papers, came back vivid and complete. Eleanor Savelli, now numbered among her dearest friends and a member of the Phi Sigma Tau, had been the transgressor, and Grace had refused to voice her suspicions. It had all come right in the end, although Miss Thompson's displeasure had been hard to bear. Perhaps this affair would end happily, too. Suppose the other girl had chosen the same subject. Grace gave vent to a soft exclamation of impatience at her own supposition. She wished she dared believe that it was so, but common sense told her that she could not hope to deceive herself by any such delusion. Who could the girl be? Grace asked herself over and over. Surely no one of her intimate friends, nor any girl at Wayne Hall, either. Whoever was guilty would be severely punished, perhaps sent home. Overton prided itself on its honour. Its children must be above reproach at all times. Mabel's evidence would clear her, but what of the other girl? Whoever she is, speculated Grace, by this time she is probably sorry for what she did. I suppose she is frightened, too. I'm going to make Miss Duncan let her off this once, and if I can find out who she is, I'm going to stand by her so faithfully that she'll never again care to do a dishonest thing as long as she lives. It was a long time before Grace fell asleep that night. Her perturbed state of mind over the stolen theme had served to make her wakeful, and her thoughts flitted from one subject to another as she lay waiting for the sleep that refused to come, always returning, however, to that of the unlucky theme. When at last it came, it brought disturbing dreams in which she figured as a transgressor. The theme did not belong to her, but to J. Elfreda Briggs. She had stolen it from the pocket of Elfreda's brown serge coat, and Miss Duncan had seen her take it. During the morning exercises in the chapel, Miss Duncan had mounted the steps of the platform, and standing beside Dr. Morton, had shouted forth her guilt to the whole college, while she had endeavoured to creep out of the chapel unnoticed. End of chapter 14 Recording by Ashley Jane